know Our Town Reno and The Biggest Little Streets Instagram have a podcast? Yeah, it's part of the overall Our Town Reno street reporting collective. The podcast has interviews of heroes and sheroes of Reno. It looks into our unaffordable housing crisis and efforts to hashtag help each other out. It also has Keep Reno Rad interviews with local artists. Find it wherever you get your podcasts by looking for Our Town Reno. Our Town Reno. What's up, Up With The Mixers? We've got another ad from a friend of the show. And it's your friendly neighborhood toy store. Katie Empire is your local premium pop culture and vinyl toy store in the Reno Sparks area. They specialize in designer figures, amazing anime merch. Katie Empire carries many rare and limited pieces from some of the top artists and companies. They are located at 433 Pyramid Way in Sparks. For new arrivals, make sure you check out their Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at KD Empire. Welcome to another edition of Up in the Mix, coming to you hot from the Honeycomb Hideout. This is Sean, a.k.a. The Truth, a.k.a. The Super Nicest, a.k.a. The Nar, Mr. R. This is Caesar, a.k.a. De La Foto, a.k.a. The Honey Badger, a.k.a. Tracksuit Poppy, a.k.a. The Brown Man of the Yacht Club. Damn, no alley on that one? Sorry, sorry, I was <laughs> making sure everything, you know, the new setup, I was, I was making sure everything's running correctly. All right, all missed right. It, missed that's, it. that's how we're off this morning. <laughs> Honey Badger's out, no food, been working all morning. Came <laughs> came back to the city to work some more. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're back after a short break. Yes. Uh, we were joking, or not joking, we're just like pointing out last time how COVID was spreading everywhere. We're and dodging bullets. After several years, finally, finally mm. got COVID. And like yeah. the thing we were trying to figure out is how I got it because that week the only people I was around were you and Samantha and she got it for me and you yeah. didn't get it. So we were thinking went to the lake one day and on the way back we stopped to pick up food for dinner. Could be. Mm-hmm. And I was standing in a restaurant for ten minutes waiting for the food. That's literally the mm-hmm. only time I had contact with anyone else and think Probably, Pro- that's it. probably got it from there yeah yeah it's crazy because you told me and i was like i'm taking this test right away and i took it i'm like stressing out for 20 minutes because uh, i'm already at home all day so to have my weekend also home all day like would be very stressful on my mental yeah mm-hmm. it was stressful because it was samantha's uh oh, no. bridal shower that mm-hmm. weekend so i got sick like thursday night kind of friday morning and you know we tested both of us tested negative friday Cause you know, her mom's coming in town, yeah, like, yeah. Just getting together, like my mom, like my sister, everyone's going to be there. So, you know, woke up Saturday. I felt like crap. Mm-hmm. Test again, negative. Sort of like cool, you know, and then Saturday night, so again, just to be sure, finally test. And positive. There was, oh, damn. And, but like by Saturday night, I was already feeling better. Mm. So, so that she's like freaking out, you know, and we're like, ah, shit. So she tests, she, you know, Sunday morning, she tests negative. Mm. Sunday night, she tests negative. So we're like, all right, like she probably, like, and then finally Monday. Then she got. She tested, she woke up not feeling good. She got both strips. <laughs> tested, yeah, tested positive. So that whole week we kind of just, we like I, by, by Wednesday I was feeling better, but. 
despite like she was that you know just fatigue sleeping a lot so it was kind of and then you know we had a bunch of stuff for the wedding we had to cancel had to cancel a trip to sacramento to get my suit and see my grandparents so it was uh it was just and then like after that second weekend i was going crazy being (laughs) in the house so finally like that that last last monday I had tested negative. She was still popular. We were like, Let's, we're going to go, like, with just the two of us. Yeah. We went up to the lake and just, you know, went off and sat by ourselves. In your and, own little bubble. Mm-hmm. Then just drove around. Like, we we did a couple nights just like, all right, we're just going to drive around. Like, we drove yeah. out to Sparks. <laughs> just like, you know, like the old school drove driving yeah, like yeah. McCarran Circle. Like, <laughs> got some... Like, Got some uh, like uh, basket robins at the drive-thru out there. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just drove around, you know, uh-huh. like it's by the bike shop, mm-hmm. just to fucking get out of the house. Yeah, it is tough because like me working from home now, you know. So Monday through Friday, I only leave Tuesdays to come here to record, and other than that, unless I got other work, I'm home with the baby. Dinner's ready for the lady when she comes home, and then like so, my one day, a Saturday, to do all my work, all my side stuff is. Very essential for extra money and my mental health. Yeah. And to see other adults. <laughs> now, the worst part is Smith had to cancel her bachelorette party. Yeah. How's that? Is, did they do any reschedule or anything? They are. They, they're they actually uh, like through getting hooked up from a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. So they're going to reschedule it later. But the guy wouldn't give them. It was off by like one day, like the insurance. Oh, shit. For the and flights, like wouldn't right? give them. Well, just for their Airbnb because mm-hmm. it was like 1500 bucks and wouldn't give yeah. them a refund or anything. Because so, sometimes you could like write Airbnb and what they do is they, they give you some money back and then like the person keeps the rest. Well, they had a policy, an insurance policy, like a, like a COVID, mm-hmm. but it went out of effect on May 30th mm-hmm. and she booked it on May 31st. Mm-hmm. Damn. So they're like anything after May 31st, that they're even though COVID's surging, they're like no longer offering mm-hmm. the COVID thing, like insurance thing. I feel Which, companies are over it, and they don't want to give people money. Back. Well, fuck Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not using them anymore. Like, I, I, that's why I didn't use them for my for us, bachelor yeah. party. But mm-hmm. we have a special guest. Yes, let's go. Let's go to that. A returning guest, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been here way, since season one. Mm-hmm. For a long way time, way back yeah. at the original Honeycomb Hideout. Mm-hmm. The things so much has changed since then. Yes, uh, but welcome back to the show. I I don't want to mess up your last name. Z Bogali. That's close enough. <laughs> That's close enough. How do you Bogala. say Bogala? Bogala. Yeah. Z Bogala. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you very much. AKA Z Bugatti. <laughs> <laughs> I respond to a lot of names, Caesar. It's all good. But uh, welcome to the show. Welcome it's back. been Thank you. several years. Guess who's Bizak? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's been a long time. Yeah. Like we were saying before we started, it was whole different time in in world in history the whole world a whole different time <laughs> mm-hmm. you can just like go in people's houses you know you normally could, like, and say hi what a mask was i didn't yeah. have to yeah you didn't have to worry about standing you know for 10 minutes waiting for a pizza if you were gonna get you know a, a <laughs> right. sick for two weeks mm-hmm. exactly. exactly but uh yeah we have, have a new dig <clears throat> yeah it's it's we actually moved into this house and uh we found this house the first day of lockdown in March of wow. 2020, we uh, it was spring break. We locked like we had already made the appointment to see it, and uh, met here with masks on with the owners. And he like opened the door. We looked at it by ourselves, and we're like, "We'll take it." 
It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Great neighborhood. <coughs> yeah. Solid, <coughs> solid basement here. We got the Wu-Tang flavor going on. We got the Wu-Tang floor mats, Warriors <laughs> floor mats. I was telling y'all, I'm, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in my head all day. Watch your step, kid. <laughs> best be, floor mat best protect here. your neck. <laughs> so uh, we got a question of the week just mm. because this topic is you know, on everyone's mind right yes. now. How do you guys cope with this summer extreme, the extreme heats of summer? Just don't go in it. I'm telling you. Dude, I, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. I was in Vegas for work Oof. a couple weeks ago. You've been monitoring the, ve- you know, oh, the yeah, weather like out buck west. 10. It yeah. was like a buck 16. Mm-hmm. Man. No, it's, thanks. It's only, Arizona weather. <laughs> the, yeah. It was a buck 16 almost every day. Mm-hmm. There was a moment. It was on Thursday. It was, it was the week of Ju- July 11th. There was a monsoon or actually i shouldn't call it that there was a brief rain spell it was and one last night too yeah yeah mm-hmm. I, I saw that and it was like the greatest relief you could ever think of i mean the f- streets were flooding i could roll down my windows in the car <laughs> so the city the city stinks after it floods though it's because yeah. uh, i used to live there yeah yeah and uh if for some reason there's amazing waterways and ditches right for the water to go to but it doesn't go there properly, so the streets get flooded and the ditches still like they raise slowly. It's crazy. It's well, standing, standing water then stinks. Yeah, and then it's bad. But it's yeah, true. just even nature can't handle that heat. It has to break <laughs> with water. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. What about you, Caesar? Uh, I usually stay inside till I either leave really early in the morning, like on a bike ride, or at night, like at seven. Eight, still kind of hot, but the sun's good, and cause like it's intense. Like I, I was in Virginia City earlier, and uh, nine o'clock, and you just feel yeah, the heat. By like nine o'clock, it's it's because oh, like, mm-hmm. the sun's just so high in the sky. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. yeah, so it you. feels like you're getting burned. You know? Like, oh yeah, and it's just gonna be that way for another eight hours. You know, mm-hmm. we go to the lake a lot. Actually, I should say. I mean, we go. We that's go, what we've been doing. That's mm-hmm. that's the beauty of living in Reno is your is your proximity to Tahoe, and we actually get in the lake. Yeah. You know. Yeah, get we. You got to do something. Get up there, get out. Yeah, that's what we we do. Like we don't have this house is too old to have central air conditioning, so we have we do have air conditioning like the the portable ones. But you know that only cools down the room you're in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's right. So like the living room and the bedroom are fine. For like cooking dinner is a whole you know challenge because the yeah. the kitchen gets super hot. <laughs> Even the basement, yeah. like we're down here in the basement, it's almost eighty degrees down here. Is yeah. it, it feels great though. Yeah, and we got the fan going. Air circulation is important. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's still you know significantly cooler down yeah. here than you know, upstairs. But this, this heat, uh, dude, I'm so happy I got air conditioning in my spot. Like, poof, me and Leia, we'd be living. And I do like early, like uh, the other day, I went down to Sacramento with my dad and. I left early in the morning, like woke up, like left here at like seven something. I'm like, ah, oh, it's, this is, there is something I love about that mm. pre early when it's six, yeah. seven is six and seven mm, in the morning. Yeah. So good. And then we just worked out the day we went to Sacramento. It was like cloudy down there mm. and super night. Nice. Like we got to uh, the mall at like noon yeah. and it was like 78 degrees down there. Ugh, nice. Nice. So yeah. it wasn't, yeah, I think a the little high, humid, but yeah, okay. the high, yeah, it was humid, but like the high down there that day was like 88 mm-hmm. and it was like a hundred here. So I yeah. uh, picked a good day uh, to go down there, hang out with the fam. Well, I'll tell you, speaking of fam, I was in, fa- I was saw some fam in Maryland pretty recently and I don't know if y'all been out there, but the humidity, humidity is no. ridiculous. The East coast no. humidity is miserable. And nope, I was nope. there in May and it was one of those heat waves and <clears throat> I think it was 95, maybe 96. 
you know, a thousand percent humidity. Yes. And it was just unbearable. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah miserable, really bad. miserable. I would rather, I've been in Phoenix when it's like 118. I'd rather deal with that than, uh, mm. yeah, a couple years ago, I was in New York visiting my parents and they lived there. And it was like 97 degrees with 98% humidity. Mm-hmm. And getting in the pool, like, wasn't enough refreshing because like it was so hot like the water in yeah. the pool you know wasn't it had warmed up wasn't mm-hmm. super cold so like even getting in the pool you're like i guess this is better <laughs> that's probably where the ice bucket challenge started in the east coast because you're like already sweating like, you're sweating so much it doesn't yeah. evaporate yeah. as much so then you like get in the water you're like oh your, your skin and hair are cool but the body you know <laughs> this water's like 78 all the, degrees all the swamp cool you want yeah i'm just gonna sit in the air conditioner mm-hmm. but uh Moving on. Yes. Stay out of the heat, everyone. Stay hydrated. Wear sunscreen. Sun, it's important. Yeah. Sunglasses protect your eyeballs. I just, I just, uh, you know, ordered some new sunglasses. Shout out to uh, mm. my former student who hooked me up with a gift card. So nice, nice. Yeah, got, yeah nice. I got some new sunglasses. But uh, see, you know, you you've been here before. I have. We've known you a long time. I've known you a very long time. And as long as I've known you, you're you're one of the OG Warrior fans, and I know. So I just have to ask you off the top, as a longtime Warriors fan, how did that championship run feel this year? How did it hit with you? I still can't believe it happened. I couldn't believe it was happening yeah. while it was happening, and I still can't believe it actually happened. Right. This it, team, that team, this season, Yeah. if you think about, what people were saying early on mm-hmm. they wouldn't even they make, weren't they, even in the conversation nothing, they were yeah. like oh maybe they'll you know they'll get the play in like you know like right. that's what they were talking about going into the season the play in there yeah. was no way they were making it to the nba finals i mean I, we were talking about this being maybe a back season get yeah. to know the new group clay's mm-hmm. back maybe so to steven Bryan, yeah our, our group chat you know yeah. like <laughs> we had tempered expectations of like losing in the second round maybe making it to the the western conference finals but that was as far as we got and those yeah. were pipe dreams yeah like yeah. i remember us having a conversation we're like you know what if we lose in the second round and it's a good series right. we were going to take that we would be happy with that yeah yeah so just to see them gel like they've gelled before and you know see clay reintegrate with the new guys you mm-hmm. know because we've seen steph do it before like you know yeah. clay was out steph was leading that team and um it was just that was still amazing to see Steph with these new guys and, and create a new flow with them. Mm-hmm. But to see Clay back in, then Draymond, and it just felt like it just the old meets new and the blend. I don't, you know, I, I guess I just have to give it up to Steve Kerr because yeah. it felt like one of those old great Warriors teams, right? 2015. Yeah. But this is 2022, and we got guys like Eight years later. Kuminga and people we never heard of. Pool? That are like, yeah, pool. They were in <laughs> that are, middle school last yeah. when they started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That are like contributing the same way that the role players back then, like, you know, the, the Black Falcon and folks, like the people were stepping up into those same roles. It was like the same team. It was just, it's amazing how they've re- reformed that team into a championship team. Yeah, I feel like Kerr, it's almost like how the Spurs were, where, like, they would take, you know, they had Duncan and Robinson, but, like, kind of no names. But if they knew it's a team sport, we all play together, we all do this together, we win, we lose together, you're going to do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. watching Clay, just so much joy. (laughs) So much joy. Oh, yes. Just game six, Clay, just showing up. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And like for him especially, like that comeback for the SB award is, you know, 
Because who would have thought two surgeries and, like, you know, one of them is, like, career ending, yeah. you know, for him to come back and still, and, like, be patient, too, and, like, especially with Kerr to ramp him up, not necessarily to get him to play all 48 or 40 minutes. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Steve Kerr is kind of a basketball genius, I think it's fair mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, as a 90s kid, I, mean, I, I respected Kerr, right? Didn't think he was, like, super, yeah. super integral to so the, the Bulls, Bulls wins mm-hmm. or even the Spurs wins. I mean, I knew he could shoot. I know he was yeah. a smart player. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way he's shown his ability to, like, fire his team and to um, – and to play the same brand of basketball with different players. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I keep coming I mean, back to. You know, you kept hearing people, why, you know, like, why do they keep running the system? Why do they keep running, the, you know? Yeah. This is why. <laughs> this is, it's, I, uh, I, this guy, this coach I follow on Twitter, he's like, people act like this is impossible. He's like, this is my middle school team running, and they're running the split cuts, the dribble handoffs. Yeah. You know, these kids are 13, 14. They're doing this. He's like, all it is is practice and just teaching them you know, spacing and the, you know, the fundamentals of basketball. And that's what it is. It's fundamental basketball. It's unselfish, mm-hmm. ass, move, and trust that you'll get the ball if you're open. And exactly. Make the right read, make the right play. And that's why it's so tough for superstar teams to do it because they all want to play one-on-one and not really pass too much and just, you know, isolation. It's not going to win. I know. It's not golf. I was just thinking, you know how... Steph Curry has changed the game of basketball, right? So he's the greatest shooter we've ever seen. His handles are underrated. Let's mm-hmm. just be clear about right, that. Yeah. His vision is underrated. Let's just be clear about that too, because everything's you know everyone focuses on his shooting. But as a point guard, like he's ch- he's not only changed the game of basketball, but he's changed that position. Because I remember growing up in the '90s, right, with John Stockton and Carl Malone. John Stockton mm-hmm. would bring the ball up because he was you know, ostensibly yeah. the best point guard as Magic Johnson. John Stockton, he would bring the ball up. And back you down to his little corner on the wing, right? Mm-hmm. Carl Malone would come up, set a pick. Mm-hmm. They do a pick and roll. He would, they would get yeah. two points ninety five percent of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Now Steph Curry doesn't even bring the ball up, right? And you, but you know what's coming to him because he's going to come off forty five screens <laughs> and Go run underneath for tw- the basket. Twenty minutes, mm-hmm. for, run for twenty seconds, and then shoot, shoot the ball. That's why when people talk about uh, eras, <laughs> the defensive. Uh, like ability, the, the bar is so high on defense now mm-hmm. because the offenses are so more sophisticated. Exactly, yeah. guys weren't moving off the ball as much, nearly as much in the nineties. No, you watch those old no. things. You had guys sitting in the corner. You got had you know a guy in the high post, a guy in the you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you got centers setting screens at the three point line, rolling. Yeah. At the same time, you've got you know a back cut from someone else on the wing yeah. and then you know they're setting a, a screen for a, a, someone else like it's just constant it, playing defense is so much harder and these guys the mm-hmm. attention they have to do especially curry and clay running around these screens mm-hmm. and then you got to worry the next year hopefully yeah. you got to worry about wiseman rolling mm-hmm. to the rent you know and now that they can shoot deeper and deeper you have that to too. go out and out so that leaves just that inside so yeah it's, it's like all just, about spacing. It's mm, all about spacing. It's like when you play defense, it's like you're watching football, like you're a safety. Yeah. And, you know, just it's the same thing with spread offenses. Mm-hmm. You know, you're spreading the defense out, making them cover more ground. They have to it, work harder. Mm-hmm. It's just advantage. Eventually, someone's going to make a mistake. Someone's going to crack. Someone's going to make a mental mm-hmm. mistake. 
Someone's going to forget their assignment. Or, or be like a half a second half late. Half a second late. Mm-hmm. And then that pump fake just kills you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Then you're, yeah, then you're in panic you mode re- chasing. recovering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing, you know, as a former basketball coach, <laughs> I love watching. <laughs> this so underrated is the Warriors' defense. When they're, mm-hmm. on, when they're on point, just the the communication, the, the reaction times, the rotations, it's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful to watch. <laughs> it is. A well-executed offense go up against a well-executed you know, defense and just see the defensive rotations and the communications have to go out and f- to force them into, you know, an 18-foot fall-away, you know, contested jump shot as the cl- shot clock. Ex- mm-hmm. That shit does it for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. The guys that used to move a lot, Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, for their day, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. They moved along the baseline essentially right they would come up for a curl screen every now and then but it was reggie miller who was moving the most it was like this guy runs so much so, uh, right? yeah. mm-hmm. now you think about steph curry i mean that guy will run without the ball for 90 percent of that possession mm-hmm. and ultimately get it and score right like or touch it once at the beginning maybe touch it a second time and then get you know the ball back to him it's just it's so much more sophisticated mm-hmm. and guarding him i mean i've done it every, you know every and then i just watch the defender and not him I'll just watch the defender. It's exhausting. And imagine being that person. How frustrating it's it must so be. Yeah. Hard. Cardio it's so gotta hard. Cardio got to be up. Cardio game got to be good. <laughs> Especially like a good defender. Like mm-hmm. in the finals, Marcus Marcus Smart is a great defender. Great defender. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy gives a shit more than most players about defense. defense yeah. Because was he, was he number two defensive? He was the defensive so. player no, of the he year was this year. year. Yeah. Number one, yeah. He and stays just, at home. He doesn't fall for pump fakes. Mm-hmm. He's sturdy. But it doesn't matter. It does. None of it mattered. I know. None of it mattered. Like it, Boston was a great defensive team. Yeah. Still didn't. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It, it's like <laughs> just too many weapons, man. Mm-hmm. It's like that sh- scene in uh, in uh, Remember the Titans where he's explaining the offense. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you just it's like wear him down. It's like Novocaine. Yes. Just wear him down. <laughs> Eventually, it's gonna work. The shotgun. They Who know do you it's think coming. They are the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie's good. That movie's a classic. That movie's great. Yeah. Yeah, the Jets. <laughs> What's it? Uh, right side, strong side, <laughs> yeah. and they were the weakest. <laughs> that was the weak side. Like, Who's your daddy? <laughs> yes. So there was so much shit. I'd be so pissed. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Some of my coaching uh, philosophy definitely comes from Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> my coaching demeanor. You got bananas in your pockets to give away too? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> That's great. Uh, which is uh, yeah, like uh, that the mentality of. Yeah, you know, you're gonna be held accountable here. Yeah, no. make mistakes. Right, we're gonna do it till you get it right. No, and that's the thing you have to do. You can't just treat them like little children and like give them a pass. It's like, no, you made a mistake. Let's watch it over. Let's do it again to get better. Yeah, like we're just gonna keep doing mm-hmm. this. So you get like, if you don't know, tell me what you don't know what to mm-hmm. do. Because then I could. That's what I'm here for to teach you what you don't know. But it's just you know we're gonna keep doing this till <laughs> we get it right. That's yeah. that's how. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway. Fucking, <laughs> a, fucking sunshine, what's up? Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about the Warriors' future? Yeah, how's Looking. it going? So, as long as the main three are there, and we got Kerr and the management team that we have, um, feel great. You know, I trust them to foresee the players coming up out of college that can fit into the system. You know, I trust that. Uh, at I mean, this point, at what point do you, like... You have to just give them the benefit of the doubt that they know what they're yes, doing. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. And, you know, these guys are going to get older, of course. So, like, you know, the, the championships have revolved around those mm-hmm. three for 
for the entire time. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, they're going to age, right? They're going to get older. No one's like, not everybody's LeBron James, right? Who can rise up and dunk on four people and (laughs) at 38, 38, 38, yeah. So he's only like two months older than me. I get mad all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's the same. He's like the same guy. Yeah. 2003. It's crazy. But my hair's better than his. (laughs) What are you going to do? You got a beautiful beard. I'll tell you that. Uh, Yeah. yeah. He got one too, but the hairline, you know. Except it, LeBron. I'm just telling you. Except it, Poppy. <laughs> so I, I feel good. I feel good about it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, the future. Yeah. Is, it's it's so exciting to me. Just like you know, like you said, they're gonna get older. Like I, yeah. I watched yeah. a dynasty. You know, as a kid growing up in the Bay Area in the '90s or '80s and '90s, yeah. I saw the end of the 49ers dynasty, but they didn't have hope. Like like they didn't have a Jordan Poole. They didn't have an Andrew Wiggins. They didn't have a Moses Moody in a in a James Wiseman right. to to look forward to, you know, at least being competitive. You know they're not going to fall off a cliff and who knows? Right. Like at this point, like you said, the management team, they've like someone was talking about the roster and it was like 10 of the guys on the roster they drafted. Wow. You know, and that's remarkable. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, people complain about it, but it's like I was going <laughs> I did this last week when we were driving down. I was looking at some of their rosters in like the mid 2000s and just looking at their records and all those years in the wilderness and some of the players they had on the team and warrior fans have earned it like people talk about them being un- inseverable when you're the laughing stock dark day I, I, I was like they made the playoffs in like 91 and 92 i think 92 they they won 50 games and they uh, lost in like the second round they didn't make the playoffs again until 2007 that was Ooh. 16 seasons That's a lot. where they never won more than like 34 games. Right. And then after they made the playoffs that year, made it to the second round, the next season they won 48 games and didn't make the playoffs because, you know, the Western Conference was just so, so stacked. stacked. So, you know, it was, like I said, you know, you, there's only a handful full of people I knew that were Warrior fans because it was lonely. It's been a long haul, man. <laughs> in fact, I've flirted with other teams, man. When Penny Hardaway came in the league, I'm like, okay, I'm a Magic fan because right? that's my man. Right oh, there. the new pennies are right? coming out too. The Orlando that, colorway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woo! yeah I mean, because like it's not like you would <laughs> the war being a Warrior fan back then. It was like okay, at the beginning of the season, you're excited to see. This is going to be the year they're better. And then, like, by December, you're like, no. Nope. <laughs> then you're, like, looking, you know, watching college basketball to see who the the top picks are going to be. And then finding out, you know, what pick the Warriors are going to get. And if they're going to screw it up, which they always – they drafted Vince Carter. Yeah. I and know. traded I, him. I know. The year they had the worst record in the league was when Yao mm-hmm. Ming was coming out. They ended up mm-hmm. somehow with the third pick and drafted Mike Dunleavy Jr. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just uh. – they traded Mitch Richard for Billy Owens. Yeah. Like, oh, don't remind me. <laughs> true Warrior fans know what I'm talking about. You know, like it was just one thing. Like, the Chris Webber saga, yeah. Joe Smith. It was just one catastrophe after another. And then to watch this last, you know, ten years, it's been uh, brings a tear to my eye. I love it. I love it. So do I, man. Just a just a just a truly resilient team. You know what I mean. This yeah. year might have been my favorite. Me too. Just because too. of everything they went like this, hot, the hot start, mm-hmm. and then all the injuries. Clay coming back, mm-hmm. Steph setting the record, Draymond getting hurt. You know the emergence of Pool, Gary Payton Jr. Oh yeah, the mitten, my man, the mitten right there. Yeah, 
Yeah, like there's so many good stories. You know, Juan Toscano Anderson, there were so many good stories on the team. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was a perfect storm. Couldn't help mm-hmm. thinking how, how the Minnesota Timberwolves feel. Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn. Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah. You know, they got a real one, though. Anthony Edwards, that dude. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if the Warriors had drafted him? Oh, like, Because, you know, like if he had dropped to number two, they, they were going to take him. And uh, That'd just be unfair. Yeah, that guy's going to be. That guy's yeah. a superstar. Yes, he is. No. He can fly. So this is all you Warrior fans listening. You know, you've earned it. Bask in the glory. We're, yeah. we're here with you. Loving every second of it. It'll end one day, but it's not ending today. No, <laughs> not yet. It's yeah. not ending next year. Hold, holding on. Do you guys like that green wants the, that max contract already? I saw that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's future. You know, that's in the future. Yeah, he can say that now. Things, you know, they'll think about it next year. Yeah, they got a whole season to to figure out and play. You know, Wiggins wants a contract pool, mm-hmm. as they should. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what you want. And uh, like. Two very smart basketball people. The disease of more. Pat Riley. Mm-hmm. That's what happens, you know. Yeah. You, you, you win, people want more. So we'll see. True. Someone's going to have to make sacrifices, you know, if, to keep everyone together. Because they can't have a fucking $500 million <laughs> payroll. No, not everyone <laughs> can be maxed out. <laughs> like just, yeah, you can't have all. Yeah. You can't have seven max contracts on one team, no matter how rich the owner is. Doesn't work. Doesn't work just that way. It's so much luxury tax. Yeah. So much. Yeah, they won't even allow it. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll be like, hey, no. Uh, well, <laughs> but that just goes to show how much money is in the NBA, too. Now, it's wild. We're like two year maxes are like 68 million. Well, they're saying some of these young players are going to be the first athletes to earn a billion dollars just in career earnings from, mm. from their sport. Jeez. You know, like John Moran, like, if, you know, these guys, sign, mm. by the time they're on their third max contract, you know, they're going to be making 70, 80 million a year. Yeah. I mean, even Russell Westbrook is making like fifty something mil this year. Definitely doesn't deserve it, but you know, I feel sad for him. Yeah, I do. He probably feels so bad inside and depressed, and I not the a, same, obviously the same qualities that make him great are also mm-hmm. what are holding him back from adapting. And that's usually for alpha male kind of thing, anyways. <laughs> Russell Westbrook just got to get in the gym and work on that jumper, man. I'm telling you. Yeah, his confidence play defense. out there. Do. Play defense. Play like, defense, move without the ball. Like, all the things we were talking about. <laughs> Warriors players do. Right. Just, you know, like, you can't rely on that athleticism forever. forever yeah, because right? his body is, like, you know, it's getting old, 34, too. 34, yeah. You get, you're getting old, my man. And Sorry. Your jumper's broken. Yeah. His jumper's broken. Like you're shooting. <laughs> Not just multi-vitamins bro, is going to work. Bro, you sh- he's shooting worse than Draymond. I mean, yeah. But, like, he shoots him like he's Curry. <laughs> I mean, his jumper's from the side. Like, you think mm. it's going for glass? He's not. No. He's not trying to go glass. The bank is not open for us. No, it's closed. <laughs> he's trying closed. to switch ATM that shot. ATM is down. Yeah, like, but his confidence, it's like. Yeah. Like, you know, look, we all know, you know, first of all, Looks like Draymond's wearing a backpack when he shoots. <laughs> but second of all, he's not taking eight, ready to He's not taking eight three pointers a game. He's no. taking one or two, and we're right. like, right, that you, like you got to take it. You're open. Yeah. Westbrook's out here pulling up from three like he's Steph Curry, <laughs> right? With when he's shooting twenty nine percent, doing heat checks, yeah, on no <laughs> heat so checks guy, on ice. Like we all played NBA Jam. Yeah. Guy, you got to make a couple yeah. before you do a heat for the check. fire. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't do a heat check when you've been cold. <laughs> yeah. There are like really bad shots you can take a basketball, and some are justified because it's a heat check, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. think every bad shot, yeah. every mm-hmm. shot Russell Westbrook takes yeah. feels like a bad shot, you know? <laughs> He's feeling himself for I mean, what? Look, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not hating hard on Russell Westbrook. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. homeboys got to improve his game a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's, let's move on. It's not a basketball podcast, <laughs> but we can't talk about time. it yeah. for a while. There's a lot of bullshit been happening around the NBA. So last time you were here, you were switching to your new job at the NSH in Nishi. I wasn't to say Nishi. Yeah, but for people who don't know, the Nevada. What does that stand for? System of higher education. Yes. And are you still working there? I am not. I actually left NCHI uh, in January of 2021. So mm. a lot has happened. I'm now at NV Energy. Nice. Senior attorney at NV Energy. Oh, dang. Okay. Um, working on procurement, litigation, renewables projects. You know, the climate change. We were talking about climate change before we started the podcast. It's a, it's a huge sort of passion of mine and always cared about the environment and, and had had an opportunity to work in the renewable energy field. And I took it. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So explain like in layman's terms, because it's just like, I'm trying to see what an attorney does. <laughs> oh, sure. So it's really a transactional attorney. So we okay. have a lot of agreements, right? right. That we have to review um, to build projects, to purchase materials. I mean, from so from the to elevator the maintenance, well, like from the, the elevator maintenance in our buildings, have contracts for that right to buy you know buying the materials we need to build power plants i review all those contracts Ooh, okay. so a lot of, a, a lot of a mundane <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. of reading a lot of legalese legalese okay a lot of negotiations over you know different asks from the vendors and counterparties mm-hmm. okay. and so yeah contract negotiation but i also represent nb energy in court so if we're sued um I handle those cases as well in light of my trial experience that I have. Mm. Um, and the renewable energy projects are sort of within the procurement field, but, you know, battery storage and solar fields and all that kind of stuff, I help the renewables team on. Oh. So are they uh, looking to expand? Uh, I mean, Nevada's obviously ripe for different opportunities yes. for renewable energy. Is, can you, is there any specifics you could tell us of what they're moving towards? So I'll tell you, we are really the kind of the Saudi Arabia of solar. I mean, we just have so much sun in the mm-hmm. state. That, uh, 300 days of sun. Yeah, something like that, right? So huge opportunity for solar uh, across the state, and we're seizing upon that. And so there have been energy goals stated by government, right? So the governor and the legislature have required uh, the state to meet certain sort of re- renewable energy goals, and we... we we intend to meet and or exceed those uh, goals. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I heard something like Nevada gets enough sun that, you know, they could theoretically, if harnessed properly, you know, power most of the West Coast with mm-hmm. with solar energy. And we also have geothermal, you know, they have geothermal plants as well. So that's exciting. I think, you know, that's something, talking about diversifying Nevada's economy that, you know, in the future. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> And then in terms of transmission, too, so you're talking about this, there are states surrounding Nevada that have their own sources of energy that we can share, right? Yeah. Use and or transmit. So, like, you know, geothermal in Utah, solar in Arizona, our own solar here. Uh, you know, there are 
serious opportunities for us to start engaging in transmission projects to start sharing the energy throughout the West. Oh, Very good yeah. for everybody. We'll mm -hmm. lower prices for sure. Yeah. And just, you know, looking long term, you know, that's there's going to be have to be like that sharing because you're going to have energy produced, not necessarily where people are. Some of these less populous states are going to be able to produce more energy than they can use. You're going to have to get it to where, where people are. Exactly. That's cool. I didn't know you were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. New job. Oh, Everyone in COVID. Everyone seems to have got a new job during COVID. I'm so stuck at the same Seems to have left my. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the real thing we wanted to talk to you about, you know, as a lawyer, someone who's studied the law, someone who helps teach youth about the American government at the school I work at, you know. Yes, sir. How do you, what are your thoughts in general just on the Supreme Court, you know, not just recently, but, you know, since Roberts has been there, there's been a lot of, like, going back to Citizens United, some of the uh, the uh, cases having to do with busing and civil rights laws that they've, you know, upon the last 10 years. I think that's affecting people's view of the Supreme Court. Big question. So I'll start with this. I, you know, I happened to work for somebody during law school um, who had particularly good insight into the court and mentioned to me that <clears throat> court really changed significantly after the Bush v. Gore decision, right? Different composition of the court at the time, of course, right? You had Justice Souter still there. You had Justice Scalia, right? You had Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? You had Anthony Kennedy. They're all still there, uh, and they're not there now. But that case politicized the court internally in a way that it really hadn't previously of course it changed the public perception of the court too right and so all the way back to 2000 which was before john roberts was on the court there were already fissures at least according you know t to folks i've talked to at the court and so it's it's just gotten worse right we have more ideological i think nominees and people you know residents with litmus tests right saying look i'm only going to appoint justices who you know, will overturn Roe versus Wade, right? I mean, the Republicans were pretty explicit Openly, about yeah, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it finally happened, right? But throughout, I just, you know, this, the court, in my estimation, has continued to move rightward over decades, particularly during our lifetime, um, because, you know, not just in campaign finance, like you mentioned, but in, you know, on issues of race and, diversity, right? Folks are worried that affirmative action is going to get overturned. I mean, there's a case before the court that you know, should be before the court next term where a lot of legal experts are worried that the court is going to overturn affirmative action, right? Um, I mean, there was a case back in 2007, I believe, called Parents Involved versus Community Schools of Seattle School District, <clears throat> which kind of a prelude to all of this, which basically said, and it was and it was authored by Chief Justice John Roberts. Hey, Seattle, I know you're trying to diversify your schools with this plan that you came up with to bus, you know, different demographics of students to different areas. But relying on race, we're going to apply strict strict scrutiny to your program. And they invalidated the program. The court invalidated the program, even though the school district was, you know, engaging in a laudable effort to diversify the school system. And he said, look. Famously, uh, 
discriminating on the basis of race is discrimination on the basis of race, right? <laughs> Even if you're trying to help disadvantaged group. And so that was... <laughs> Which is just like, I don't, the, the, the way you look at that is just so, I don't even know the word to describe it. It's a very clever reading mm-hmm. of the Equal Protection Clause, right? <laughs> Like the gray area lines, you know, in between. It's like a very, yeah, literal but disingenuous literal mm-hmm. interpretation. Well, it sort of ignores the history of the 14th Amendment, which was pr- enacted specifically to benefit African Americans right. after the Civil War mm-hmm. who were emancipated but given nothing, right? I mean, they just left the plantation and had nowhere to sleep, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And had no way of engaging with their government. Immediately enslaved economically. <laughs> right. And so the Equal Protection Clause was saying, hey, you uh, must be treated equally by the government and public accommodations and government and schools all over the place. Of course, it took a while to actually come to be, right, as we know. But the Equal Protection Clause had a real history and targeted focus for the African Americans in this country in an effort to provide protection from discrimination right and so when you use it to help them <laughs> then you're saying that's discrimination you would think that would be consistent with right? the 14th it's, amendment but that's what i mean like yeah. it's so disingenuous mm. way he used that argument to justify dismantling that program right right so famous case you know um parents involved case i teach that case in my class so this court has just kind of gone further rightward, right? We have the Dobbs decision, which was a long time coming, I think, um, that overturned Roe versus Wade and sort of gave it back to the states, the, you know, the decision to permit abortion or not back to the states. And it's, um, it's I think, a worrisome time. Yeah. Not, and it's not just because folks disagree with the decision, but it's, in my view, the most worrisome thing about the Dobbs decision is court's <laughs> uh, disregard for precedent, right? Starry decisis. People relied on Roe versus Wade for 50 years. Their reliance interest, people changed, it changed the lives of women, right? To be able to pursue their careers and live their lives in, in the way that they intended. And just, the, just sort of the ignoring of Roe saying it was it was wrongly decided from the start. Everybody knew that. <laughs> well, no, not everybody no. knew that. But there was an arbitrary line of viability and didn't really, you know, um, consider the life of the fetus. It's like, no, no, no. If you read Roe, they actually engage in that balancing analysis, like the balancing interests of the women versus fetus. Like they really engaged in that and they came up with, a, I think, a workable standard of viability. You know, some say it's not workable because of the technological advancements that have happened and, and how that line of viability can change. That's true. To say that it was wrongly decided from the start and that therefore folks shouldn't have relied upon it um, and just to, sort of to ignore the reliance interests that millions of women had in that case is troublesome to me. And it makes me worry about the court's view of precedent as it applies in other areas, right? If they're willing to overturn Roe, what else? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, to me, it's obvious that they have an agenda and they're just looking for the, any legalese to justify, regardless of precedent, regardless of public interest, regardless of what's right, like better for the health of the country. 
you know, going on to their own, you know, the the public's confidence in the court. And they're going to push that agenda regardless of the consequences in any of these areas. And that's the scary thing to me. It's like there's very few institutions left that people have any sense of faith in. <laughs> and I felt like the Supreme Court was one of those until recently. And now it's, once you know, like if once people... Once people start losing all faith in all forms of government and authority, it's a dangerous, dangerous, slippery slope into, you know, that's that's how that's how you get fascism. That's yeah. how you get these dangerous ideologies that you know take a hold of a country and and transform it in ways people didn't think it could happen. Now we we also saw in this same term, another area where sort of some traditional notions of um, um, constitutionalism and precedent were sort of eroded within the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, right? So we saw a couple cases involving the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, which basically says the state shall not establish a religion, right? Uh, There was a case called Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. It was the the famous case of the uh, high school football coach praying on the 50-yard line. Yeah. probably heard about that um and in that case the court actually said he is permitted to do that right um even though he was a high school official who appeared to be acting on behalf of the school and was advocating for a particular religion she said he has you know the ability to to exercise his religion under the free exercise clause of that same amendment but in that opinion the court says hey look i know we had a case called Lemon versus Kurtzman, which created the Lemon Test, we call it, balancing interests of whether a state is establishing a religion or not. And the court basically, the court overturns that case, but it doesn't really say so. It says, oh, hey, we already sort of overturned it in all of these prior cases. I know you couldn't tell, but we were overturning it piece by piece <laughs> and so only it's like revisionism yeah. it's like revisionism so the court basically says now we're basically telling you that it's overturned but it, 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 it was it's it been was happening. it's not now we can't tell you exactly yeah. when it happened but so it's it's been happening just yeah. the way the court sort of cleverly handles eroding precedent or outright overturning it is a little bit worrisome to me because that's you know that's one of the principles of jurisprudence in american law is stare decisis right and precedent matters right and when you have a case has been decided before and a similar case similar facts similar issues comes up it's controlled by that previous case right you have to follow the previous case because the facts are similar the legal issues are similar people have relied upon it and when you start overturning you know centuries old not just legal precedents but legal traditions it's it's worrisome for me right it's an erosion of trust in government for sure and you know, that lead to great consequences. Sorry for being dire. <laughs> no, just, but I mean, no, the situation. Like, yeah. yeah, it is because it's like do as I say, not as I do, kind of thing. You know, right? And it's just like whoever happens to be there, they're like, "This is what we're doing." Sorry. I think the the underlying things of the last, I feel like, century of American, you know, politics is the use of legalese to justify anything. By twisting, by any means necessary, twisting the meaning of something to the very limits of what you can believe, but justifying it legally. That's, 
we've seen it time and time again, like with civil rights, with all of these different things. And, you know, the, the, you know, it's, it's twisting these, you know, you, you, it's twisting these original, you know, federalism going back to the you know, founding of the country, these arguments over the, you know, the role of the central government, the role of the States, it's twisting those traditional arguments uh, in ways that are not like really genuine discussions that they were, you know, in the Federalist Papers or whatever, like they had real issues and they're not addressing those. They're just using them as smokescreen to ignore, you know, <laughs> what's right. Basically, yeah. I mean, just I so I agree generally. I mean, the thing is, is we like to pretend that judges are robots and automatons and receive information and inputs and then you know go through a mechanical process and then spit out an output. Judges are human beings that have experiences and preferences, right? Now, they're required to set those aside in the act of judging. I think the overwhelming majority of them do. You get to, and I don't mean to absolve the Supreme Court at all, but because we rely upon the Supreme Court so much to decide all of the major political issues in our country, right? Like, uh, be, and we do that because Congress has absolved its responsibility to actually legislate all this stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, very we true. We rely on the Supreme Court to make all these decisions, and so then each appointment process becomes this like incredibly blockbuster and spectacular political battle, right? And polarization is even more manifest in uh, those appointments, and so then you start attracting the kinds of candidates who can survive that process and, and can sort of purge your side to rally the troops, right? So you start getting more ideologically-minded nominees, and then you couple that with the heavy reliance we have on the court, and so now we're getting polarized, polarizing decisions, mm -hmm. right? Now, it's important to point out, too, that the overwhelming majority of the Supreme Court's cases are not 5-4 decisions or 6-3 decisions, right? It's the ones we don't even pay attention to, right, where there's 9-0. Yeah. In fact, J Justice Breyer, in one of his last published opinions um, on the court, decided a case about um, the First Amendment free exercise clause, excuse me, establishment clause with respect to uh, flags at the Boston City Hall, right, what sorts of flags they can put up. 9-0, to zero, right? agreed important to point out they don't always disagree right mm -hmm. but in the really really important issues like abortion or affirmative action or campaign finance like you know Congress should be leading on that kind right. of stuff and it's just another breakdown and symptom of the breakdown of like our legislative process exactly it doesn't legislate and one party's obstructionism is the cause of that <laughs> you know there's, there's just Besides lowering taxes, you know, like what are their you know, legislative goals? They don't, their platform, there's no, that's just obstructionism and rolling back taxes is basically their legislative goals. So, One of the main things people recall about President Harry Truman was that he, he famously complained about the do-nothing Congress. I forget which number of Congress it was, but it was, you know, during his term. That do-nothing Congress he was complaining about, pursuant to this recent analysis I read, Pat, Pat, passed four or five times more bills than the, yeah. <laughs> than the most recent Congress. Yeah. Uh, when we were looking at the filibuster this year, the filibuster has been used more in the last 15 years than it had been in the previous 100 years. Oh, right. man. It's amazing. So that just, like, that's, it's 
it's not legislating. You're blocking. You're preventing legislation. Right. Yeah, because I feel like that's all they're doing is just blocking each other. Just and they just they're like it. little kids. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. If I can't have it, you can't have it at all. Yeah, yeah. tough times, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break. Let's yeah, take a break. We need a, yeah. tough times. <laughs> it's intense. <laughs> I'm like my baby, my poor baby out here. <sighs> can have it worse than us. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes well, the truth is intense, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. But we need to know about it. And that's the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Caesar, you have a song of the week that we can play. Yeah. The new Joy Badass album came out in 2000. So uh, this is one of my one of my favorites on their whole album. Tip the Tail is great. But uh, One of Us by Joy Badass featuring Larry June. So uh, listen and enjoy, people. Salute. What's up, guys? I want to tell you guys about one of our new sponsors and favorite tattoo shops here in town. Yeah, our favorite tattoo shop is Lasting Dose Tattoo, located in Midtown Reno at 888 South Virginia Street. They are open Tuesday to Saturday, 12 to 8. They have an artist for any style tattoos. Walk-ins are always welcome. And they have an art gallery that you can see as you wait for your tattoo. For any information, you can find them at www.lastingdosetattoo.com or their Instagram at lastingdosetattoo. Yeah. I know they wish they was one of us Cause we living in the lap of love Stepping honeys in the truck, got them lapping up I know I got my money right, so I'm acting up what? I know they wish they was one of us Cause we living in the lap of love Stepping honeys in the truck, got them lapping up I know I talk a lot of shit cause I can back it up Nigga, what? Bitch down the boss like Hugo Pockets for the blue nose Walking in the street loophole Realest nigga that you know Known around my city like that nigga Pumo Catch me in Boca Katrina eating all the Pluto She need a nigga who gon' keep it low Won't let the crew know Venus is Sagittarius but I took her to Pluto I got a gold soul, not that I could Puko She throw it, I'ma knock it out the park like I'm a Pujo Good fella rockin' the sky dweller Got street dreams of being richer than a Rockefeller I sell it, it's whatever We can catch planes to dodge the bad weather Alcatraz is more in the Porsche till you feel the slather in the Range Rover Kinda on the river for the quick changeover Got an AM and a PM with Only A-list song behind these who you seeing with Any rumors you heard about them, you should believe this shit I pull up in the cleanest whip Nike SBs in coordination with the GC3 Prezi on the wrist, look crisp, matching the season piece Face call, way too legit, don't even need ID Basketball vibes on my dick, I give them tenacious D From BK to the Bay, we run them numbers up About to lap you niggas again, they running out in love Been up on top of my game, niggas can't stun on us Me and June, one in the same, fucking the summers up I know they wishing they was one of us Cause we living in the lap of love Stepping honeys in the truck, got them lapping up I know I got my money right, so I'm acting up What? I know they wishing they was one of us Cause we living in a lap of lust Stepping honeys in the truck, got them lapping up I know I talk a lot of shit cause I can back it up Nigga, this that go insane, nigga, kill mode Pyrex in the kitchen, working two stoves Yeah, emerged from the dirt, had to make a way It was dark days, but now it's better ways Used to wash cars, go to matinees Now I'm pulling out a hundred just to go and play I'm the type to let a bad bitch walk away Cause that ain't my main focus, I'm on bigger things Might get a head done, let it dry the portions 
Ten thousand in my sock and I'm rocking shorts. Uh, shows up, I got my life in order. Slide through BK and it drop with Joe. I told baby I'm a different breed. Don't be chasing me, shit. You be chasing him. In Philly with Wallow eating the Philly cheese. We living that life, niggas will not believe. I know they wishing they was one of us Cause we living in the lap of lust Stepping honeys in the truck, got them lapping up I know I got my money right, so I'm acting up What? I know they wishing they was one of us Cause we living in the lap of lust Stepping honeys in the truck, got them lapping up I know I talk a lot of shit cause I can back it up Nigga, what? Welcome back to Up in the Mix. That was Caesar's song of the week. It was One of Us by Joey Badass featuring Larry June. A great album, 2000. You know, his uh, you know freshman album was 1999. And then uh, he had another one in between. And then this one, 2000. Still same, those old vibes from that 1999. Just, uh, you know, still static on a lot of the production as well. And just Joey Badass growing. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always love Joey Badass. He's got such a wide range of, mm-hmm. you know, he did, he obviously originally came up on that 90s, like old school Brooklyn style. Mm-hmm. But he's also, you know, like, spread out. He's got all sorts of different production mm-hmm. and prove that he can rap over any type of beat. Yeah, and the whole Pro Era crew is fantastic. They all, there's some of them like uh, Nick Caution, who does production and he rhymes as well. And just the whole crew is just fantastic. And he, he, he has something to rap about. You know, mm. like he talks about, you know, what's going on in the world. He, ta- mm. he, he He's a very well-rounded. Yeah, he got his ear to the streets. And uh, not just, you know, the dope game. Not just, but very political and stuff about what he says as well. Yeah. Important. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Speaking of importance, we're still here with our guest Z. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Laying down some knowledge. Yeah, mm-hmm. And we're going to uh, change things up. And you mentioned this, but you teach a class at UNR. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the class that you teach there and uh, what the topic is and uh, how that's been for you. Sure. Happy to tell you. So I actually teach three classes, Ooh. but I'll tell you about the one I think that you're most familiar with. I teach an ethnic studies class called Ethnic Studies 307, uh, Race and Law. And it's a class that I developed based on a class I took in law school. Um, from one of my favorite professors, Professor Andrea Freeman. Um, and it's basically a class that covers some traditional first-year law school topics like criminal law, criminal procedure, tort, contract, okay, really deep into um, the law with, a, with an explanation of how race has impacted those areas of the law. Oh. And so... I mean, I don't mean it to be like a law school course, but I, I do cover traditional law school topics. So it's a, it's a great class. I've um, been updating it constantly. I start, first started teaching it in 2017, um, actually right after Charlottesville. Um, in interesting. Yeah, yeah. It was a, that was still the most interesting semester. Um, but I really allow the students to to be in a safe space to, to, to think and to say things that they may not feel comfortable saying outside of the classroom in order for them, right, to grow and become educated about the history of this country, particularly as it pertains 
your race. I mean, it's, it's really difficult to explain the law without mentioning race in this country. And it didn't have to be that way, but it is. And it's almost impossible to talk about race talking about the law, right? And so we really explore those two concepts overlap from the era of slavery through Reconstruction, Jim Crow, redlining, uh, civil rights era. Um, so it's a pretty expansive class. That's the main class I teach. I teach two other classes in the criminal justice department. One is courts and criminal justice, and the other is jurisprudence, which I'm teaching in the spring. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I'm saying with those classes, I'm guessing you get mostly criminal justice students with your with this race and law class. What, what kind of students are you getting? Is it criminal justice students too, or is there a wide variety? Wide variety. So it serves to uh, meet a core objective of the university. So that's kind of how the university um, breaks down the courses nowadays. They break them up into core objectives, core objective one, two, three, four. So it serves the diversity requirement for core objective 10. Um, and so I get a bunch of different, so no prerequisites. Oh, um, okay. Okay. That's awesome. I have freshmen to seniors, biology to political science, mm-hmm. you know. Interesting. Yeah. That great. probably makes the class way better. Yeah. It, to I have all the different, you know, thoughts and, you know, backgrounds going into there. Right. I think mm-hmm. it does. It's pretty, pretty eclectic group each semester. And um, I think it requires others to inhabit the brains of other people. Yeah, which is really what putting themselves in other mm-hmm. that empathy building. Yeah, it's really what it's, it's important. Race relations <laughs> yeah. is all about, you know. Mm-hmm. How has it been? My my brother recently started teaching at the the college level, and you know we have lots of conversations about his experience. How has it been teaching? How has that changed your perspective? How has that process been of just entering teaching? Yeah, it's a good question. I think about this a lot. I, th- I think I think about this a lot because I'm worried it's not changing me, <laughs> but, uh, but it is, it is. It's definitely keeping me more abreast of what this sort of younger generation cares about. Um, it's nice to know what, you know, how you know, a 20 year old views what's happening in Congress or how a 20 year old views what's happening on the streets of Minneapolis or how a 22 year old thinks about, you know, no colds and implicit bias. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see their perspective because I know what's coming, you know? And it, I also love the undergraduate level because, you know, people haven't, you know, young people haven't hardened into their own belief systems. They're still, they still got that willingness to uh, change, right? Right. They're still exploring. And I think there's honesty there that is precious and I want to take care of. I don't want to indoctrinate them, right? I want them to know the history. I want them to know the laws. I want them to read primary source documents. We've talked about this before of the black codes and stuff. Like read the black codes in South Carolina, which I have them do. Right? Read the congressional record of the 14th Amendment. It's available. <laughs> uh, read um, some of the Jim Crow laws right? that prohibited some instances black and white people from merely playing checkers together. Watch the birth of a nation and see how the lost cause ideology, that sort of gauzy way of reinterpreting what actually happened in the civil war. Like look at how intentional that was. Right. And how inaccurate it was too. Right. And try to connect how people's views about race today were likely informed by those sort of popular representations of race in the media. So it's, it's, it's fun to see the students grow into 
and to see their reactions to things they've never heard of before, right? And to see them process it and to help guide them, you know, you know toward what, you know, they believe and <clears throat> what they feel about these things. I don't tell them what to believe, you know? That's, yeah, that's, uh, I had an intern that had a problem with that. This semester, <laughs> that, you know, like that's yeah. not your job as a teacher. Right. Your, your job is to help them form their own opinions. Right. We have a little unit on the second amendment actually. And, and the relationship between the black Panther party for self-defense and the second, the, the individual rights interpretation, the second amendment that has become the prevailing view of the second amendment. Although, right. As we all know, who have read the second amendment, <laughs> well established there's a, militia. There's a, yes. there's a collective right in there too. Right. Um, and so we talk about how it was, it was really the black Panthers who first espoused that individual rights view of the first amendment or of the second amendment in an effort to defend themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and then how it was eventually sort of turned against African-Americans mm-hmm. um, throughout, you know, the post-civil rights era, era of mass incarceration um, and the war on drugs. Interesting. Yes. You said before we started that you would be perfectly happy teaching high school <laughs> government. Do you think uh, you're going to continue to teach moving forward into the future? Is it something you love and enjoy? I have no reason to believe I I will stop teaching. Um, and it's it's not a huge burden on me, right? So I'm not a professional professor, right? I have a day job. I tell my students this. Mm-hmm. I teach at night. Um, and I don't teach for the money. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> Who does? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone teaches for the money, right? Yeah. I, I teach because I like to do it. And so I, I don't see any reason to stop it. There's, you know, and... The course offerings keep expanding, you know, and so for a while I was only teaching one class and I was teaching two classes and now I'm teaching three. I only teach one per semester, you know, I, I can't sustain more than that right it's now. It's a lot. Young yeah. kids yeah. at home. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe eventually I'll even expand that, but an adjunct, be free to do what I want and so not a huge burden. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I intend to teach for a while. <clears throat> What's it like? you as a 40 year old i'm I'm 40 (laughs) interacting not just with the subject matter but just how is interacting with people that age you know young adults affect you like how how does that change your perspective on on things other than it making me feel old (laughs) i mean that's huge yeah huge when when i see someone wearing a print shirt and they're like oh i just got it at the store and they don't know who it is (laughs) yes yeah it's it could be frustrating yes 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 you know it's it's fun i I don't you know i like to age you know actually it's i know that sounds kind of funny but i i appreciate the wisdom you gain from experience and i appreciate sharing that you know people and so I, you know, what I really think about, honestly, is how, how a lot of, how our generation may have failed these students, right? Um, and how, because we keep seeing the recurring, recurring issues throughout American history come up in different iterations, right? I mean, when I was, you know, we were kids in the 80s, 90s, like, you know, there was the crack epidemic, um, and there was the war on drugs, you know, that was disproportionately impacting african-americans and brown people um and then now not as if it wasn't happening before but now people are seeing it more right actions with police with 
with minority populations, primarily black and brown, getting shot by the police and killed. And so, you know, again, more of those same issues. And it just makes me think, you know, what's, you know, what's next? You know, yeah. what are we doing about it? And so I've always thought education is, is the antidote. You know, I really do. I really believe that if you know somebody, if you trust them, you are more likely to give them the benefit of the doubt. You're less likely to discriminate. Um, and it's when people are at a distance, you're not close enough to them, don't know their story, you don't know their families, you don't know their individual situation. You're more likely to judge them as a member of a group, right? And to apply stereotypes to them that are damaging, right? that have been inherited through socialization for centuries. That's when I think those ugly implicit biases come to the surface. But when you know when you know the person, um, you're, I, I think you're less likely to treat them poorly. And so part of my mission in education is, to, is for people, for, is, is for pe members of certain groups to get to know other members of other groups, to know their history, know their plight, and sort of empathize with it and view them as human beings that, you know, we're all just trying to make it in the world, right? Some of us, for really terrible reasons, <laughs> have been you know, excluded, um, inhibited from entering schools or even learning how to read. Right, right. Entering the country, right, based on the color of your skin or based on your ancestry. And so to empathize with that and, and try to change it. Yeah, back to Remember the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I always get mad when they're like... You come to America, you're an illegal alien or immigrant, but you go to another country, you're just an expat, you know? Right. And it's just like, why? You know, I know why, but like... Like language... It, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was... This was something I just realized, like, you know, you, you heard... You always hear people in Canada and Britain and other places, they say, I go to uni or I go to university. Mm -hmm. And the reason they say that, because it's just like saying, I go to high school or I went to high school, mm -hmm. because it's free. Yeah. Education, the education, mm -hmm. so anyone can go. But here we say go to college because it's exclusive. Mm -hmm. And traditionally mm -hmm. it's been exclusive and reserved for certain people. And that's like, it just shows you the importance of language and how you talk. And watching these shows, British shows and Canadian shows so much, you really see just how our language here in America is based off of, you know, the ex excluding certain people so much in a simple thing like a phrase like that when you look at the history behind it and the difference and you realize so much of it is based off exclusion yeah and other countries have it but because they're a little bit more educated they got to be more shysty about it yeah you know now the racism doesn't exist there yeah, but it's, it's not as prevalent it's yeah. not as deeply rooted in that it's like the mm -hmm. entire language has changed and the way you yeah. talk about mm -hmm. things is is based off, you know, has been changed based off these things, you know, for hundreds of years, and people people don't know or, or even realize it. I mean, Congress in the 1880s passed a law called the Chinese Exclusion, Exclusion Act. Act. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, so. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, baked into the name, right? Mm -hmm. then, but it's cool for them to make the railroad, though, right? <laughs> right, I mean, that was, there was too many of them here. After, like, mm -hmm. that's what it was. It's like, they're like, oh, there's too many of them, yeah. and they were afraid <laughs> of them having like you know the law excluded people from bringing their families like if you'd lived here you couldn't bring your family over uh, so it just you and it set quotas here. on how many mm -hmm. could be here and you could only be here to work and you could only do certain works that's why like in california like 
the like they could do laundry. So that's why they're you know they own they, have so they much. can only earn mm. uh, own certain businesses. Oh dang! Okay. So that's why restaurants, laundries, mm. these businesses that they own because that was what only businesses they were legally allowed to do. Oh shit! That's race and law right there. Mm. Yeah, right. it is. I read uh, stamped from the beginning. Huh. During, what a great book. That's during a, COVID. That's a giant, giant book and a, <laughs> just a ambitious scope and amazing accomplishment. I, I, I mean, it took me a while because it was so dense. But the way, but he just breaks down literally the history of racism in this country and the evolution and how it was, the ideology was formed and then how it was legalized and codified. And um, yeah, that really it gave me the tools to talk about, you know, to understand and actually, you know, break these things down and talk about, because that, but that's what you need. You know, that's, that's what's needed because people, obviously people don't realize this. That's a, that that's the book by Ibram Kendi, right? Yeah. Uh, who also wrote how to be an anti-racist. I should tell you, you know, now that you brought up that point, you know, what I always return to, right. When people ask me about my class or even when I'm talking about just, structural disparities in other areas, corporate America, the workplace, because they are everywhere, you know, these, these disparities, not just in criminal justice. Um, you know, I, I sometimes engage with others who don't agree with me, which is great. And we talk it out. And sometimes I hear folks say, you know, playing the race card, like race doesn't explain everything. Like this is identity politics and all this. And I always retort with this. And I thought it was important to say, like, when you're pointing out modern racial disparities, you're like, you're not playing identity politics, right? You're being descriptive, right? Now there is a way of playing identity politics in a cynical way, right? But that's not what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> um, but what I point out is, you know, the original identity politics in this country, like formally, was in our first Congress. If you read the Immigration Act of 1790, it says it limits citizenship to free white persons. That's the legis- that's, that's the wording in the statute. Free white persons. That was important to say free because there were some white folks that were serving as indentured servants, servants, right? Exactly. Free white people could become citizens. That was a clear limitation, right? Um, or in the actual constitution itself, right? Three-fifths of all other persons for representation. Other persons meant black people. Like excluding Indians in there. People don't talk about that. Right. Like they, they, formally the, excludes Indians, right? So that was, that like, was identity politics. All of those things were... Debated and <laughs> right. like discussed. Like these words were the I mean, they chose those words carefully after yeah. months of discussion. So yeah, it's the, there it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like a mm-hmm. they didn't understand it wasn't misinterpreted or anything. Like, those words were specifically chosen to exclude certain people from the political process right. of this country. Right. We've been steeped in identity politics since the beginning, right? And so uh bringing it up now in an effort to change the structural inequality. It's just gaslighting. Uh, right. Yeah, it's it's just, it's it's cynical, right? Yeah. And so it tr- I try to engage in good faith all the time, give benefit of the doubt to people, try to educate them, be patient. And that's the role of an educator, right, is to be a safe space for people to say things they may not feel comfortable saying around other people and not get punished for it, but get educated for it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, one thing I would do when I was teaching uh, a trainer so when students didn't agree with that, I would always ask the students of color when they realized they were different based off the color of their skin. And it wasn't an internal thing. 
It was always an exter. It was how someone else treated them. So this identity was not something that is internally hot or it is some, an external pressure applied to them by other people. And you just, all, all I had to do was be like, what was the first time someone was racist to you? And the stories were hard, you know, oh, yeah. especially with some of the, these Hispanic, you know, just oh, heartbreaking, yeah. you know, like, oh, I was three years old and someone's yelling at me to go back to Mexico, you know, like you just in the right. grocery store, you know, like, right. so you just, you just ask that. And, but like, again, it's hearing someone's experience That's right. and then realizing how it's different from yours. That's right. And you get to see uh, like there, you understand their perspective and it literally, there, so many people's knowledge is limited by their lack of experience and perspective, and that's right. a huge problem with you know, these identity politics, as you're saying, is because people are limiting themselves to their experience only, and their experience is purposely limited and exclusionary. That's right. It's in, it's by its very nature limited. Yeah. Great point. Take a break. Yeah. Let's look like next. We got some Toby Nwigwi. Mm-hmm. Are you, you you like Toby Nwigwi? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. smooth. Um. My my niece and nephew are huge. They're twins. They're oh. huge fans of because uh, he has his kids in the in his videos, and uh, the one where like the, my nieces love the one where his wife raps. Um, like, it's uh, a great time. But this this is brand new. Toby Nwigwi featuring Chameleon Air and Two Chains. Two Chains. Uh, it's been broke my whole life. Uh, so uh, yeah, listen and enjoy, everyone. Well, guys, here's a word from our favorite watering hole in East Sparks. Paxton Pints is located at 944 Victorian Avenue in Sparks, and you should check them out. They have happy hour every day from 3 to 6 p.m. They've got full bottle service, meaning you can buy beer and take it home with you. For more information, you can check out their website at sparkspacksandpints.com. That's sparkspacksandpints.com for more info. And if you mention the podcast, you get 10% off. So holla at our boys. Peace. I swear I've been broke way too long. Oh, 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 oh. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Right next to Poe, my whole life. Say government, put my pipe in my wife, right after the covenant. Pistol right by my side, contemplate dumping it. Only if a demon tries scheming or touch me. Ooh, yeah. Pit drip on me, don't trip. My slut, then hydro plane. Ooh, yeah. Whole squad ball so hard on God, my buy Rogaine. Ooh, yeah. My little buddy make it out the muddy, still got his family intact. Ooh, yeah. Trouble us might get your whole jaw buttoned up like a chin strap. Ooh, every bar present gift wrap. Ooh, flow water, get a swim cap. Can't feel this big cow. Low key, I deserve big deal. Cause I've been broke my whole life. Yeah. Now money right. Yeah. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life.
Arizona, got a pole in the phantom, codeine in the orange phantom. I ain't going back to being broke no more. In shrimp, they shift with a pole dunce. My bitches all my life. I serve fiends, manifestate my dreams. And an Asian made these jeans. Your rose in my pocket. Shout out my amigo, he the psychic. Yeah, flow like a pipe. I'm talking German engineer. African American, I need some therapy. I just need someone to listen. Cable to D like a piston. She make a wish in the room, working stars in the ceiling. Who made a hard swap EBT for cash like trading cards? I've been broke my yeah. whole life. Now money right. I've been broke my whole life. Now money right. Hold up, H-Town Texan, always be investing, coming through dripping and soft Sin, I'ma keep shining like Iceman, Nick Trey, Flip, Slim, Thugger, and Paws Grin, ever heard him say the money talks? Yeah, I'm the one doing the most talking Rule number one is get money, number two is get money, R.I.P. the young dog Finn, everything black on black, yeah, Amex, melanated dark skin Y'all run into the major label like you think they gonna sell you, who you think that is, Clark? I am not seven, not three, not two, not eight. I'm nine above top ten. Could have been a one hit wonder. You should wonder why I ain't in the situation, y'all. Broke my whole life. Uh. Now money right. Yeah. Broke my Guys, that was Sean's song of the week, and it was uh, "Been Broke My Whole Life" by Toby Nwigwey, Chameleon, Aaron, Two Chains. Um, obviously, you know a theme of his, mm-hmm. just talking about how you know, growing up his life. Um, but it goes back to that song he did with Paul Wall to get out the lizard, where he was like a color changing lizard, mm-hmm. and he finally made it happen with the song with Chameleon, Air, Two Chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chameleon verse is crazy good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two Chains isn't too bad. But, uh, you know, I love everything he, they do in the it's art fantastic. direction. Like, we were watching the music video, and there's one shot where they're on a spiral st- staircase, and Toby and Fat are, you know, one part, he's got the dancers, and then as they zoom out, like, at the bottom of the staircase, you have uh, two chains and chameleon sitting there, and it pans out to the shot where you just see everyone perfectly framed. <laughs> like, it's... the. The production and the video, every the design and the, the the clothes and the color schemes, it's fantastic. And uh, oh, that was speaking of my brother. One of his classmates grew up in Houston and and knows Toby Nwigwe. He's Ooh, he's nice. Nigerian. He's yeah. like, you know, it's a small community, and I bet it is. <laughs> yeah, and you know, very tight and closely yeah. closely knit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's so positive, and you know, we, we've been. We've been on. Yeah. So. It, it, we, mm-hmm. we, we play them a lot. Mm-hmm. It's uplifting. Mm-hmm. But uh, all right, Z, it's time for the meandering questions. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, several questions, you know, specifically catered to you, my oh, friend. Oh, wonderful. Oh, great. I'm worried now. <laughs> Highly concerned. Hard-hitting. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> all right. The first question, who is someone who inspired you as a child? Who is someone who inspires you now? Questions inspired me as a child. Um, gosh, one person. It's difficult to pick one. Uh, my my mom inspired me as a child. Um, she was like relentlessly pleasant. <laughs> and now know, knowing how difficult it is to raise kids, argue with each other, and 
want the same thing at the same time and just, you know, fight and be siblings. And my brother and I did that a lot. I know that. She was just relentlessly pleasant and just very loving and also found a way to inspire me to be the best person I could be. I just done a lot for me. So I'd say my mom is a child. Now, I guess sticking with that theme, I would say my wife. Because she has like an infinite amount of patience <laughs> like with with the kids with me it's like she's a placid lake you know or with the with a hurricane swirling around her <laughs> and it just inspires me to keep it you know just to stay you know to keep my perspective and um and to realize all the blessings we have you know she really helps me to she helps helps to remind me of all of that so yeah my mom my wife Great question. Great answer. Yeah, nice. Uh, next one. Uh, the biggest misconception people have about how our court system works. Wow. Great question. <laughs> I think the biggest misconception about how our court system works is that we have one court system. Uh -huh. Ooh. Right? We don't. We, broadly speaking, have two. Right? The federal system and the state system. But state system is there's 50 different kinds of it right 50 different laws 50 different state constitutions and then an added layer as you add in the individual judges right who are different and um and so yeah i think that's the biggest misconception we talk about the system the court system it's not one system you know and particularly with criminal justice stats right we talk about the criminal justice system well large part of that is driven by the state systems right like the prison population those are state prisons right mm -hmm. for the most part 80 to 90 percent of our when we talk about the prison population of being 2.3 million in the united states which if it was its own state would be the fifth largest state in the country <laughs> right? a majority yeah. of them are in the state system right mm -hmm. and so a lot of the media coverage is really geared toward the federal system right when we hear Prosecutors on TV talking, they're former federal prosecutors, right? When we talk about court cases, they're federal cases. Well, a lot of what happens in the system is in the state system, and those are as diverse as the states themselves. So I would say that's the yeah, biggest that's, misconception. Again, that, that whole everything's local, politics is local, like it start the, the, the system's the same. Exactly. All right, changing it up. Okay. Uh, what do you do to relax and recharge? You're you're a father. You have a job. You have job and teach. <laughs> Your wife also is a professional. Like she works. How do you you know relax and recharge? Relax and recharge. We watch a lot of stand up comedy. Nice. My wife and I. It's like <laughs> something just uh, we've done our entire relationship. Um, ten years this year, by the way. So Congratulations yeah, to man. us. Yeah, together for sixteen. Wow. Um, and so. And it's just something we've been doing for a long time. Like, we used to go to comedy shows when, you know, when people used to do that kind of stuff, you know, before <laughs> COVID. Um, yeah, stand-up comedy, mostly on Netflix or Amazon Prime or something we find. Um, yeah, we just, uh, who do we watch? Uh, Cristela, Cristela Alonso is a, a, is a comedian we just watched. She had a, she has some uh, specials on Netflix. One's called Lower Classy. Oh, this I think we just we saw like half. Of we it so just far. put that on because we watched comedy specials. We just put her. Uh, we watched the preview. We just put it in our two watch. Oh, list. good. Yeah, I'm glad you did. It's hilarious. Yeah. She's, she's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. She is a. She's she's super funny. I mean, we're. We saw Kevin <laughs> Hart last month when he came here. Oh, nice. Yeah, only people wearing masks. <laughs> right. When Chris Rock came, I went to that. Mm -hmm. Saw I saw Chris Rock with some friends. 
couple months ago. That was fantastic. So yeah, so we we watch comedy together. Um, we go to the lake a lot, man. We go to the lake a lot. Good. Because yeah. we live, yeah, we live in like the northwest part of town, so we just jump on. You know, we're pretty close to Truckee, so we just bounce and get up to the lake pretty quickly. And our kids love the lake; they love camping, so we camp too. We got a little uh, pop-up camper. Nice. See one of those where you kind of lift up the thing yeah, on the, yeah. from the truck, right? On the truck, mm-hmm. yeah, on a Tundra, an older Toyota Tundra, and so yeah, pop up, pop the camper, and go out into the wilderness. Yeah, nice. Get away. Mm-hmm. That's right. Next one. What's an everyday essential you can't leave home without? Ooh, my coffee. Mm. My coffee. I don't care where, what time it is. I'm Ethiopian, which mm-hmm. means genetically I can drink coffee at any hour of the day. Even right before bed. Latinos do the same thing. Right yeah. before bed, oh. fall, fall right asleep, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I'm also culturally obligated to be a marathon runner, and I've, like, ignored that. So, anyway. <laughs> I kind of have a bifurcated heritage yeah. here. You still run, though, right? You still, you still yeah, I run. run. I run. I run. Yeah, but uh, but he's not on the top echelons where <laughs> no, he should be. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not an ultra runner or anything yeah. like that. Um, no coffee, man. I love no. coffee. I love it. Dude, coffee is fantastic. It's I've been making best. making cold brew at the house too. Have you? Oh yeah, yeah. Cold brew is so great. And then it's I'm not doing, acidic. Yeah, doing my uh, pour overs and stuff. Ooh, you know, I, 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 I could be a little barista if I wanted to. Ooh, you fancy. So if I win the lottery, that's what'll probably happen. Just start a coffee shop. Yeah, you're asking me about coffee. I don't drink at all. Yeah. But this, Caesar's all about yeah, coffee. Yeah. My fiance is all about coffee. Mm-hmm. Got the, the French press and stuff like Yeah, all French, French press. press stuff sometimes, you know, but it's hot, you know, so it's cold brew all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. She's all about the uh-huh. she went to coffee and comics, I think, twice this week. Mm-hmm. So a friend so I was having coffee with a friend of mine recently, well, back in March mm-hmm. or April, and I asked for his coffee order and he told me it. And it was, you know, like a latte with oat milk. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've been a coconut milk, almond milk guy this mm-hmm. whole time. He's like, oat milk. I'm like, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that too. I'm going to get the same thing. <laughs> and I got it. We had it together. And I was just floored by how smooth it was, creamy and kind of different. Smooth it, was. it is different. It is different because I still like it with regular milk just okay. because the fattiness in that milk okay. is a lot more creamier than any of the other milks, you right. know? But yeah, because and I only drink uh, like Cortados or Gibraltars anyways. Okay, little so guys. little guys, yeah, not that much milk. Because as I get older, you know, <laughs> get a little lactose. Yeah, well, was, I'll uh, tell you, the reason I do that is I'm lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for the podcast. Due to some technical difficulties, the rest of the interview and our uh, awards for the week were lost. Although we did get the vast majority of the interview portion with Z, so we want to thank him for having him on. And we'll get to our fuckboy and petty move and heroes of the week when we come back with another new episode. But until then, make sure you tune in every Friday night from 9 to 11 on 97.7 K-Wink, where Caesar and I play nothing but the best in all things hip-hop. And also, check out the podcast. Like us. Leave a review. Don't be a hater. Give us five stars. Don't be stingy with the the stars there on the rating. But until next time, make sure you enjoy the nice summer weather. Stay hydrated. Uh, Keep that sunscreen on and protect your necks. Peace.